Hello and welcome. <laughs> Solid. Hello and, and, and welcome to uh, another episode of We Have Such Films to Show You. This is the episode where I don't say the episode number because I didn't feel like looking it up and I'm trying to be more okay being you know enumerate about my episodes because, hey, if you're like, I really want to hear them talk about uh, Ravenous and Dumplings, but only if they say the number first, um, you're probably kind of a, a unicorn as far as podcast listeners go. So, uh, hi, I'm Josh Millard, one of your hosts. And I'm Yaakov, and it's number 35. It's number 35. Yaakov is number 35. Uh, I am 35 personally. Yes. <laughs> and also the pod, it's also the 35th uh, episode of our podcast through sheer coincidence. I'm 35 years old, so, you know, there's that. How old are I'm, you again? You're 20, 22, 23? <laughs> I'm 16. I'm 16 years old. Uh, this is, in fact, my high school civics project is this podcast. Uh, why, why civics? Why would I, I go to I, I don't even, I never even had a civics class. This, this, would be, this would work better as a home ec episode, if anything. Uh, yeah, we're talking about sort of a weird one here. We were going we to do an episode about Ravenous. And, uh, yes, because many of you uh, requested it, and I know uh, at least uh, I, know, I know at least a couple of people who are just like just head over heels for ravenous, and um, and it turns out we oh, well okay it's <laughs> okay step one step one what we're doing today we're going to talk about ravenous and we're also going to talk about uh, 2004 fruit chan film called dumplings. Uh, the first five straight minutes of equivocations. You see, it's 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 very difficult to you know watch a film. Um, <laughs> Breaking <laughs> Woody Allen, yeah, the, the, the most wasted Woody Allen impression ever. Um, so, <laughs> what happened? Here's what happened. Let me tell you what happened. Is uh, we were going to watch Ravenous. And uh, then we record a podcast about it. And we're going to do this two weeks ago. And then, uh, as has happened once or twice before, Sunday rolled around, and uh, Yakov's like, hey. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And he's like, oh, not much. Uh, you want to record? And I was like, oh. Oh. <laughs> I was supposed <laughs> to watch a movie. And just completely had lost track of time. So, so we talked about it. And then he was like, you know, I don't have a ton to say about Ravenous. And so we talked and said, well, let's, let's sort of, let's, maybe let's do a Ravenous thing and then another thing. And I had been wanting to see Dumplings, this 2004 film, uh, which was actually a feature-length sort of remake expansion of a short film from an a, a anthology uh, collection called Three Extremes from three different uh, Asian directors. Um, so 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 we're going to talk about both. We're going to talk about uh, ravenous. And we're going to talk and, about yeah. We're not going to get too deep into ravenous. My my own fear was that it would just turn into uh, what ended up happening with Prince of Darkness, where we had watched a movie that we you know enjoyed more or less. It wasn't you know a you know mind blowingly amazing film, but then we just ended up spending like two hours dissecting unnecessary minutia in the movie, just and then the just right constantly yeah, and then just constantly apologizing for it. And I I, I don't want to do that. That again, I don't think anybody wants to hear that again. I will tell you, um, and, and this, this 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 tips my hand a little bit on the film. Uh, I would not feel as bad about doing it <laughs> ravenous as I did to <laughs> Prince of Darkness, and and that's kind of unfair because the thing is, I don't know that Ravenous is a worse film than Prince of Darkness necessarily. It may just be that like I don't have that sort of sense of. Uh, fondness that I have for John Carpenter, and it wasn't you know part of a trilogy we were like dug into, so it didn't have a sense of sort of weight to it, where like we had to go with it. Uh, 
I liked I think, things about Ravenous, and I like a lot of the cast, but I did not think this was a very good movie. And I yeah, feel kind I mean, of bad about I, saying that. Cause, this was, like, super overhyped for me, because uh, I know a guy, like, one of my good friends uh, is very, very fond of this movie, and, you know, another one of my good friends is also very fond of this movie. Um, and, you know, a bunch of people ask that we do it, you know, on the Facebook group and in Twitter and whatever. Um, and... Yeah, I, I think it was just a bit overhyped because when I watched it, I was just like, "All right, that that was that was a movie, okay." Yeah. And you know, and my other problem is that it doesn't feel like a horror movie to me. Like it's it's definitely got horror elements, and it's definitely meant to be a horror movie. But there was just like something missing that just made it into a movie that happened to have horror elements to it. Yeah, it, it was it was almost it, it was like more. In psychological thriller territory, but it yeah, didn't really yeah. nail psychological thriller either. This is okay. This is this, this is kind of my thing with the movie. I I liked lots of bits of it. Um, you know, there's uh, some nice gory effects, although there's also some pretty blatantly low budget gory effects. <laughs> um, there's a lot of too red blood. Um, you know, it, it's a real mixed bag. You know, I, I I'm totally happy that they did a bunch of practical cannibally stabby killy effects. Yeah, uh, I'm not totally impressed with all of them uh but you know it, it, at least it was a nice you know messy gross thing so it, that's something it definitely looked better than like equally not well done cgi would have looked yeah yeah like just you know that's that's one of the great things about practical effects is that you know if you you, you might not do like an a plus job like they didn't in this movie but it didn't look Bad. It didn't look like you know there's somebody was handling a tennis ball and pretending it was a head or something. Um, yeah. And the, the budget for this was twelve million dollars, which on the one hand is not a giant pile of money, but on the other hand, it's more than some random indie thing. And yeah, and you know, and it was, it was made with uh, who the hell made this? Oh, Antonia Bird. You know what? I looked up stuff about the making of this movie, and I think it was either handed off to Antonia Bird. Antonia Bird, um, or she handed it off to somebody else. Um, I'm not sure, but it's something like that. And uh, yeah, the 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 they, they got some. I, I the actors in this movie, like uh, Jeffrey Jones, was definitely like an established actor uh, at that point, and. Uh, I don't. I think this was before his uh, troubles with the law, what with the the, the child pornography. I did not even um, know about that. I was just saying, I know. love Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Just every time I see Jeffrey Jones on the screen now, it's it, it just makes me a little sad because of his uh, you know child pornography. Um, anyway, so it's he's it's got him, and he's you know he had been around for a while. It's got Robert Carlyle, who I mean at this point was he just. In train spotting, was he known for anything else? I, I don't know if he's really known for much else in America. Like, I think he's done a shitload of work across the pond, but I don't think he's really been an American name at all, other than, oh, yeah, the crazy fucker from train spotting. Right, yeah, I'm looking at this. His, uh, yeah, not, not a lot of, like, stuff that people would know him in America. I mean, now he's relatively well known because he's a, uh, one of the main characters in Once Upon a Time, and I think that series is oh, doing is rather. I did not know that. Yeah. He is Rumpelstiltskin and Slash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, and oh, he's on Stargate Universe. I, I know nothing about Stargate, so I, I, I can't comment on whether him being in 40 episodes of Stargate Universe means anything to anybody. That's like, that's, that's like 2% of the total number of episodes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was in it 
sleeve for 40 episodes. Yeah, Guy Pierce was this was this before Memento or had Memento come out? Oh uh, uh, yeah, that's what I'm exactly. This is, what this I'm, is 99 yeah. cuz that 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 one's the one that struck me as like I think Guy Pierce would have Memento's sort of been a name happens. at this point but maybe it was just too early. I think um, Memento is what made Guy Pierce like on the uh, on the big scale that you know we now know is like Guy Pierce actor. Yeah, he was in LA Confidential, but I don't, I don't think that really took him yeah, anywhere. I mean, he, he was good, but I don't know how big that film was. Um, yeah. Really? Oh, he film. was he was on the uh, he was on Neighbors for three years and Home and Away. I don't know. What, I think Neighbors is a very long running. Um, British soap or Australian soap, I think. That sounds right. Because, yeah, he's Australian. Oh, okay. So, yeah, then most likely yeah, Australian. And the first, I think the first thing I ever saw him in was Priscilla Queen's mm-hmm. Desert. And I didn't realize until later because, like, oh. You know, like, oh, wait. Shit, that's fucking Guy Pierce. Um, and he's great in that. He's, he's great. I like Guy Pierce a lot. I think he's, yeah, yeah, me he's, too. He's, he's good in this, but even him being good didn't really pull it out for no. me. Like, he didn't have. He didn't have that much to do. Yeah. Okay. So this uh, also fucking David Arquette got killed. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> what? How did? What? What was his appeal when he was in movies? Still, I, Scream had been big. I don't know. He was. He was couldn't afford John Cusack. I don't know. Yeah. It's. I mean. I. I. I really shit on the guy, and I shouldn't because, like, you know, I, as much as anything, I just don't like David Arquette in Scream. Uh, as sort of like the representative David Arquette stuff. And in this, he was like sort of fine as the dumb, giggling, high dude who gets killed. Okay, sure. He was no worse than pretty much any other small part in this film. So I, I you know, I, I shouldn't shit all over him constantly. Um, also, Neil McDonough, is, who's sort of a that guy, but I feel like he's come up a little bit, but he's never really broken out super big. But he's a great, creepy dude. That guy, that guy plays This Is Going yep. to Be Trouble uh, with with just some really solid crazy eyes. Yeah, uh, one anyway, of my favorite shots yeah. in this is when, um, what do you call it? Just like the introduction scene of Mil- Neil McDonald's character who's just, I remember him as the soldier. What the hell is this? Reich. His name's Reich. Uh, you know, the guy Pierce just gets, you know, gets to that base and Jeffrey Jones is, I don't remember anybody's name, so <laughs> just going to be remembering everybody by their characters, uh, actor's name. And Jeffrey Jones explaining who everybody is and he's just like, Private Reich, he's our soldier. Um, <laughs> and then smash just, cut like too. a smash cut to him standing like waist high in sure, a street. And it's clearly winter shouting. outside. Yeah. yeah, just screaming. <laughs> Which is, I feel uh, like that's that's Neil McDonough's strength right there. It's like you buy that. Oh, and and that one, was his audition tape. <laughs> J- Jeremy <laughs> Davies is the uh, mumbly dude, the, the the mumbly chaplain or whatever the hell he was. Uh, who I guess I just recognized from Lost because he was uh, the time travel theory scientist uh, from the later episodes where they go and find a university. Uh, like in season four or whatever. Uh, I feel like I've seen something else too, but anyway, so cast like there's, there's, there's nobody bad in this except for David Arquette and, and they just don't, they don't get all that much to do. And the the part of what bugs me is I want to say that there's not enough scenery chewing, but really there is scenery chewing. It's just not very good scenery and they aren't given a whole lot to chew about it. And it's tonally so weird. And that's, that's my fundamental problem with it. I think I might've liked this movie, uh, significantly better if it had just taken a slightly different tone. And I feel like this might be a thing where the thing I don't like is part of what people do like because I tried to sort of I, I was yeah the uh, just like the the, the quasi like black humor or yeah, attempts at it. It like it it it's it 
it seems like half the time it wants to be a dark comedy and half the time it wants to be a serious uh, sort of psychological and body horror film. But it just it, – it wanders back and forth in a way that like undercuts both of those for me. It's like I cannot – I cannot buy that this was someone's straight-faced attempt at a horror film, but I also cannot buy that someone making a dark comedy failed so thoroughly to realize when they were getting off the plot there. And it just feels it feels like a, a little bit uh, slapstick directorially. Like you know, there's there's not a ton of slapstick per se in the film itself. I'm not saying they're all you know poking eyes and you know why 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 you know stooges or whatever that was the worst stooges sound ever <laughs> why 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 you remember when curly would do that why why um why i oughta i think i was going for it. but anyway yeah it's it you sound like grandpa pac-man um anyway yes that that that's the thing it's like and the soundtrack was like totally fucking complicit in that too because oh, the soundtrack yeah i actually liked some of the soundtrack you but i didn't did like it happening during the film when it happened mostly yeah, I had actually I uh, Damon Albarn Albin Albarn from um, what do you call it? Blur and uh, Michael Nyman and Michael Nyman has done um, a lot of soundtracks to like weird films like he's done like I think all of Peter Greenaway's soundtracks he's like the 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 like Ennio Morricone to the uh, what do you call it? Oh, who's Sergio Leone? Yeah. Leone? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like that sort of relationship where, like, Peter Greenaway's films are very heavily associated with their, like, scoring by Michael Nyman. And he also did a Sega Saturn game called Enemy Zero, um, which is... But, yeah, it was, it was him and, uh, yeah, Damon Albarn from Blur. And it was just like this... I mean, it was, it was well-performed. Like, I didn't have any problems with the compositions, but it was just sort of like go, like, into, like, wacky banjo uh, at, at points when it didn't need to or, or at points when it was just really jarring to have that as a soundtrack. Yeah, um, it, it, did not, it did not help the film's case for knowing where it was going totally. And, and, and just watching it the whole time, like, I realized, like, you know, maybe after, like, the third or fourth, just, like, you know, just, oh, okay, humor, uh, where, okay, I, I realized that, like, the people who are fond of this movie are probably very fond of, like, that tonal mismatch, because I can't see how you would be super fond of this movie and not have, like, a strong opinion towards it just because it was so, so, uh, you know, unmissable. Yeah, well, and, I mean, there were a couple times during the film where I, I laughed out loud at sort of... At the weird jarringness and the mismatch and whatnot, and mm-hmm. not not necessarily even in a ha ha mocky way, but just in a this is not this is not delivering to me the experience that I am expecting it to deliver me, and, and for me it didn't right. work. But I think I, I think that's just you know me not liking that to some extent. So yeah, I, I can I can see. I can see being into it rather than distracted by it, but for me it was super distracting. It was it was hard for me to because I really I wanted to be drawn in. You know, it's like uh, this is a story that I can get behind. I like the idea of you know exploring some uh, questioning of what you think about humanity and the and the, the the nature of taboo and the idea of sort of exploring the whole Wendigo idea and you know, there's a bunch of stuff here and these are characters who I could really see I mean or these are actors who I could see really sort of delivering an interesting taut you know uh, exploration of this stuff but they yeah. didn't really have you know the lines or or the scenes to do it they just they kept seeing Robert Carlyle just came off like a 
you know, giddy, slightly foolish goon of a mastermind, and yeah. Guy Pierce just spent a lot of time frowning. Uh, you know, it's, there could have been there could have been a more interesting uh, cannibal spirituality immortality. I mean, this is this is in essence a a sort of vampire seduction film shunted off a couple. Uh, feet to the side in terms of some of the details you know i mean we've got the idea of the established superhuman who preys on the flesh of of mundane humanity trying to induce you know uh followers conscripts as it were and you know the, the structurally it's there you know structurally it's very much there for a sort of vampire film um just change a couple of the details but it doesn't it feels when you put it like that it feels like a, an especially dumb one yeah, you know. yeah. Where it did, you know, it, it it's just like the the fact that like the, the the center point of everything is just the act of cannibalism, and the fact that like the 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 times that it happens just have like when he when when Guy Pierce like falls down the mountain along with um what the hell is his right. name uh, Reich, and then just like you know has to eat him to survive. It just felt so unconnected Which to I everything say, else that was going on. The film clearly communicates that like 10 days go by before he does this, but he's laying in place, he can't move, and there's no clear source of water. The man is dead. The man is dead by then. Uh, yeah. unless, unless we're going to say... so. Okay, so here's here's one thing from the film that I kind of wish they'd got into a little bit more because it's a real oblique wef- reference. After he after Guy Pierce hears about the Wendigo uh, concept from uh, I think uh, Mary uh, I can't remember if that's Martha. Martha, I think, is the, the mm-hmm. female uh, Indian guide. Uh, after, he, so he hears about this story, and uh, then he ends up asking Robert Carlyle before we know anything is up with Robert Carlyle, you know, if he felt different uh, after after he ate it. And there's a reference at one point a little bit earlier somewhere to him having been laying under that pile of bodies after he'd faked his death on the battlefield. Uh, right. And he's talking about the blood of his commander, like dripping down his throat. And I think the implication is that he got a little bit, uh, like a little hint of the whole, uh, Wendigo cannibalism power through the flesh of others thing there. Uh, but maybe just a touch and maybe that had affected him and he was struggling with that. So I guess maybe there's this, oh, but he had done that. So he had a little bit of magical healing power and that's why he didn't, you know, die of dehydration after 10 fucking days with no water. But I kind of yeah. feel like it was more just like someone not thinking that shit through because it's not clear exactly how this is supposed to work. Do you really, do you stack up health, uh, a bigger health bar by having yeah, flesh or is it more that like eating flesh at times of serious physical distress will repair damage is it a mix of the two yeah it, the, the, all of the all of like the supernatural stuff in this movie is so poorly defined which is a problem because like the movie hinges so much on like the supernatural aspects of the cannibalism and like the entire third act is just about that um you know it's there and and you know to hang that much of the movie on something that you don't really explain very well and isn't internally consistent from you know anything i could tell uh just it's yeah that that was one of the things that made it you know like the, i i didn't care about anything that was happening because i was not in any way like led to care about anything that was happening because so many things just seemed so arbitrary yeah so that's that's uh that's why we hated Ravnus. <laughs> I, I i feel bad i feel bad i 
I mean, there's lots of good I things. Would, you know, I would it's, love it's, to it's sit and very watch this movie. Shot. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, the, yeah. and and is acting well. As weird as the soundtrack fits the movie at times, I actually did like it. And that whole that that central uh, motif with the uh, banjo playing the thirteen note uh, pattern with the uh, major seventh interval uh, against a straight four with the like Civil War uh, organ or accordion or whatever it was music. Uh, I thought that was a really nice little bit of score. I just uh, it just didn't totally fit the film ever at all for me. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's it's a movie. It feels like a movie that's less than the sum of its parts, essentially for me. Yeah, you know, it, it threw a bunch of good stuff into a stew, and uh, afterwards, uh, I ironically felt weaker having uh, <laughs> consumed it. Um, but yeah, that's ravenous. And so we decided, hey, let's talk about dumplings, a, a totally unrelated film about eating flesh to gain uh, vitality. Yeah, uh, I didn't even – I wasn't even thinking about that when I, I brought it up either. Like it, it really is sort of like thematically sort of a, a natural double feature. But, uh, but it was just a happenstance uh, as it happens. Um, well, it's all the people you've been eating recently. It's well, just on your mind. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I think that's the main issue. Uh, all that people eating. Uh, so yeah, this, this this film, dumplings, dumplings. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, it's uh, you know extended version from something from the anthology Three Extremes. Yeah, the other two directors on that. So this is by uh, Fru Chan, who I really wasn't aware of before watching this. And he doesn't have that much stuff out, but apparently he's like super highly lauded. Um, but the other two were Park Chan-wook, uh, who did um, Old Boy and The Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Lady Vengeance. And just now, uh, I think Snowpiercer was his first English language movie. Oh, I didn't know um, that was him. Mm-hmm. Yep, and him and uh, Takashi Miike, who has just done so many things in Japan, just so directed so many films and so many like just fucking weird, violent films. Yeah. Um. And yeah, those those were the other two uh, people in the in the anthology, which apparently was a sequel anthology because yeah. it was a sequel to something called just Three. Yeah. And this one was called Three Extremes. Um. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, this was expanded from one of those. Did you watch the uh, the original one? No, and I kind of wish I had because one thing I will say about this film is it felt uh, not necessarily in a bad way, but it felt a little bit stretched. Like you know, there's not there's not a ton of plot in this. It sort of takes its time, and I wonder if that's just as much as anything an expression of being able to actually linger on various portions of what were otherwise probably fairly short portions of of the original shorter film. Right. Um, but no, I didn't see it, and I, I, I kind of wish I had because yeah. I'd like to be able to compare them. I read a bit, and you know, apparently, like the just there was a couple of subplots that are in the movie that were not in the the short film at all, and like some scenes were elongated. And I read that like some people actually had complaints about that because they felt like they were not elongated for a good enough reason. Ah. Also, was was this actually an elongation of the original material rather than a, a scratch reshoot? I'm not sure. Yeah, I have no idea. Well, um, what, what are your comprehensive uh, information on... on yeah, this <laughs> is when we would need, one. like... I wish... Yeah, this is... You know, hey, listen, if you want to be a producer for free, uh, and so you can look shit up like this when we mention it, that would be awesome. Yep. I have... Uh, yeah. But, um... <laughs> yeah, and... 
uh, so it's uh, the the plot is is, is basically like it, it's weird because like if this was an American movie, like the fact that there's cannibalism in it would like be the big twist reveal that everybody would complain about seeing from a mile away. And in this, they just like literally reveal it in the opening credits, like what the the, the big secret is. Well, and this um, is this is interesting because I I. Uh I, I kind of, they, they both did, and then, but they were sort of subtle about it. Like I feel like if you were not super attentive or didn't specifically say, "Oh, hey, that looks like fetuses," you could have spent a fair amount of the early portion of the film sort of wondering what the creepy thing was. Even though there's clearly that shot of Aunt May sort of unpacking her her lunch, and oh, it turns out what it really is is you know just smuggling some fetuses into her apartment. Yeah. Um, which is interesting, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know how likely it is that people would not pick up on that. But on the other hand, if you weren't specifically going thinking about it, I mean, someone might have been like, "Oh, it's like some weird shrimp or something." Okay, Asian cuisine. Uh, <laughs> which I just, I kind of wonder if anybody had that experience. Um, but I kind of knew going in in any case, so uh, it wasn't something that I was left wondering in any way about. But yeah, no, it is. It, it, it is interesting that that could have been rendered as from like some like late in Act One or mid Act Two sort of twist where yeah. it gets sort of like the reveal. Like if this was Rosemary's yeah. Baby, it would have been like you know the first five minutes would be them moving into an apartment where old couple comes over and says, "Oh, hail Satan!" You know. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, and I mean, I think it'd be a very different movie if you were to save that, like, as a reveal, because, I mean, like, the, the, the whole, like, the, the emotional sort of ride in this movie is just watching um, Mrs. Lee just descend further and further into, like, uh, have, you know, cannibalism with gusto. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think it'd be different if you were still, like, if it was meant to be a question of what she was eating. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, this is not a film where she finds out to her horror that there's a cost. It's not a monkey's paw sort of yeah. situation where she's only surprised later to find out that the question she refused to ask had a terrible answer. Yeah. You know, No, it's like, no. She uh, One of the first things she does in the film is, is spit out a dumpling that is made out of fetus because she's not really on board with it yet. But, uh, but then she gets on board with it. And uh, and then we see that repeated later on with the uh, the five month old uh, fetus, and she runs screaming. And then we get that great scene of her sort of once she stops panicking and stops in the street. There's a slow <laughs> transformation on her face from this sort of like you know panicked horror to this sort of uh, serious resolve. And it's a, it's a great little bit of just yeah. like wordless uh, you know just facial expression acting stretched out over like thirty seconds or a minute. Um, which I, I think that's sort of that that right there could be like the definitive scene of the film in terms of what's going on with Mrs. Lee's uh, sort of transformation and as you say, sort of descent into like really sort of ruthless uh, self-advantaging uh, cannibalism. Um, I guess we can talk a little bit about the overall plot of the film. Like, yeah, she, this is a this is a aging actress. Uh, well, oh, so here's the thing. I just before you say anything else, can you just guess how old? Uh, what the hell is her name? Maggie Young, um, the the actress who played Mrs. Lee. Guess how old she was when they shot this movie? Uh, Thirty-seven. Thirty. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, just like her, like th- that was one of the things that like made this movie. Like I, I, on the one hand, so. Do you think it, you were meant to suspect whether or not, like, actually eating the fetuses does anything? Because they're 
I, I don't think they ever really made it clear that it in fact has the effect that everybody thinks it has. Well, the one the one issue there I think is Aunt May. The, well, yeah, the photograph. Well, just the photograph of her. So are, are, are you that are was, you proposing perhaps that Aunt May is actually someone in her thirties who is like running a hell of a scam? I I think that. Until the photograph is revealed, um, that would have been. And it's, is it a photograph or is it a drawing? I think it's like a painting or a drawing. Yeah, it, it looked like sort of a painting, yeah. but it could have been sort of like a colorized photograph too. Yeah, but it, it just it it might not necessarily like. There's nothing. You don't see any sort of physical change. Sure, there, 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 there's no there's no the werewolf transformation plays. scene in here. And yeah, that, yeah. That is an interesting thing because yeah, I mean they I I think they change her makeup to try and. Uh, I guess firm up her skin a little bit, but it, it is yeah, a real no, subtle thing. You sort of that. you're taking you're, you're you're sort of taking the film's uh, word for it because yeah, there is no conspicuous reverse werewolf scene or anything. She doesn't uh, and, and, Benjamin Button on us. Yeah, and that's the thing. In a way, that actually makes it a bit scarier if none of this was being done for. Like I mean, it's I, I don't think you know what it does excuses cannibalism, but the fact that it might not be doing anything at all is in a way kind of scarier. Yeah. Um. So, I, but yeah. So I don't know how much of it you were supposed to read it as that. Um. Yeah. No. It's it's an interesting question, and this is this is this is a movie where also there's a lot of little sort of uh, details where I feel sort of like conspicuously American watching it. Um, there's 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 little sort of yeah just cultural like signifiers that I is that what you is that yeah what you mean, yeah or? yeah like like yeah, that I just totally didn't grasp th- at th- all. There are bits of stuff because one of the things is it's a very visual film. You know, there's not a ton of dialogue in this. It, 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 it relies same, a lot uh, on the look. Yeah, it's the same cinematographer as. Um, have you seen In the Mood for Love? I have not. Or twenty forty six. I have not. Just these uh, movies by uh, Wong Kar Wai, and they are just these gorgeous movies. And just watching this movie, I was just like, "Wow, this seems a lot like you know one of Wong Kar Wai's films." And I'm just like, "No, I'm just you know being <laughs> like weird and racist because that is like the only, one of the only other Hong Kong directors I can name offhand." And then I was just like, "Oh wait, it's the exact same cinematographer." Yeah. Okay, I feel less bad and visually acute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's a really nice looking film. It's uh, again, it, it sort of takes a time. It's time with scenes where not necessarily a ton happens uh, right. to good effect. I think like large, largely I like the fact, I think the film does pretty well as a slow burn thing. You know, the, the, the fact that Rosemary's baby popped in my mind, I think ties into that to some extent. Although I think even that film may have a little bit more uh, dialogue than this does proportionally to running time. Um, but yeah, everything looks great, but it means we also get a lot of scene setting that involves visuals of like people at the apartment complex that Aunt May lives in. Yep. Uh, there's the the lady with the white pancake makeup getting her face flossed or something. Uh, it was uh, it, it was threading. It was uh, eyebrow threading. Okay. Or yeah, it it I I think it's like it, it removes individual hairs um, from the facial area. I've seen like in in. Um, in some places, like mostly in Manhattan, there are just uh, you know Chinese-run spas and uh, other you know just like East Asian-run spas, and they play like they have screens in the windows that play like commercials endlessly. And I've I've seen that like in one of those commercials that was advertising eyebrow threading. So I think that's what that was. Okay, but yeah, I mean the key thing is basically we get sort of a montage setting the scene at the random apartment complex as Miss Lee's making her way to to Aunt May's apartment yeah. and. 
and it's obviously setting a tone and and I think in in general it's setting a little bit of an off kilter tone intentionally like just the yeah. idea of Mrs. Lee seeming like she feels out of place and sort of navigating to where she wouldn't normally be. But it's also... Yeah, it's, it's, um, no, go ahead. It, it, it's a little bit trickier to know exactly how to take some of that tone. Like, like, am I supposed to see a lady getting her face worked on there and think, oh, that's kind of odd? Or am I supposed to think, oh, that's just uh, like, that's the old neighborhood sort of thing? Or, oh, there's some serious, you know, class implications. I'm like, it seems like yeah. the apartment complex is definitely a different class than yeah. Ms. Lee as a as a, a rich uh, wife of a, a you know rich man is living in, and, but it's it, it's hard to navigate exactly. You know that that's the thing. I feel like if I saw the same thing done with like an American neighborhood, uh, it'd be so much easier for me to know exactly what the director was going for, just because I I get all those signifiers, I get the the little details. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like it's it's a thing that's sort of. Um unique to uh, just like Chinese and Hong Kong cinema is like that like you know in in American and like European cinema like there's there's backwoods and if you want to show like you know like lower class but also like less you know like culturally and technologically developed people you're shooting this thing in the backwoods in in Chinese cinema you know they 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 have that, but what are the uh, and and I want to just distinguish between Chinese and Hong Kong cinema because there's there's differences between the two. But anyway, like you can do that inside of like a densely packed city structure because of just the way things uh, developed over there. So I it, it's the the feel that I think you're supposed to get for when she goes into that complex and it's like you know this old dingy housing complex that doesn't look the thing is it just looks dingy and and just like completely not maintained but it doesn't look dangerous which was one of those other weird things like you know if you if you see like you know a, a basically a housing project in a movie like there's always that like sense of danger about them because they're always associated with so much violence um, and I don't think you you get that same sort of feel from what they're introducing in this. And I think the, the, the lady getting her eyebrows thread, I think it would be like the equivalent of like, if you're, you know, like that, that, like, you know, that shot of like the main street in the Western and, you know, there's like horses tied up at the saloon and there's always like that, like really rickety outdoor shower, like the outdoor public (laughs) shower thing. I think it's like the equivalent of that. Yeah. It was her getting like her eyebrows threaded in public that, you know, there's no store for her to go to for this. There's like the central area for the residents of the tower um, or the, the complex or whatever. And that's where people go about their business. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then, yeah, I think there's like supposed to be a very, very big and distinct class disparity between um, uh, Aunt May and uh, Mrs. Lee. Yeah. And also, the other thing is that Aunt May herself, like, the way she's dressed, like, the stuff that she has in her apartment, like, I did some reading about this, like, she's dressed in, um, she's wearing, like, uh, what do you call it, she's got crimped hair, she's played by Bai Ling, who is, you know, just a very, very attractive actress, and, like, they, they, like, make her sort of trashy, you know, that she's got, like, this super crimped hair, she wears just, like, very tight, very revealing, brightly colored clothes, um, and somebody mentioned that it it was basically just how um, women dressed in the '60s there. That mm. so her clothes are supposed sort of to be outdated. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and you know it's supposed to be outdated. It's supposed to be trashy. And then like her apartment has all of these like little figurines, and she's got a poodle. 
and somebody like in one review they had mentioned that it was supposed to be like it was supposed to resemble a pre-cultural revolution apartment but then the other places did not support that and so i'm not sure but like the the way in which she lives is supposed to have like a bunch of signifiers that would be obvious to you know like a uh hong kong audience but but less like we can clearly see like what's going on i mean it resembles like you know an apartment of somebody who is not like very well off and like not upper class because you know it's got like kitschy shit in it and um but yeah i i think there's there's like something lost in in like visually like lost in translation from that yeah yeah i I would say probably like the american trope i would you know say say it felt like to me as like if you were to set someone up in uh, essentially a trailer park, you know, is that same sort of yeah. Uh, yeah. sort of feel in terms of trying to represent sort of class and aesthetic. Um, I really liked the, uh, <laughs> the, the ceramic Mao hanging out with the ceramic Virgin Mary. I thought that was a nice yeah. little juxtaposition there. Um, so yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know why the dumb Woody Allen. I, uh, <laughs> the the the, uh, the the song that she sings, um, like there's a point like where she feeds. Uh, so um, Aunt May is like she is very eccentric as a character, and it was fun watching her on screen. Yeah, this is this is a like, place where something being weird and goofy works. Not to yeah. you know shit on is too much, but I yeah. I feel like this this film did an excellent job of marrying weird off kilter in a way that made you sort of laugh nervously, uh, in a way that really fit the film. Um, yeah, yeah, like the, her. Um, yeah, it 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 fits in because like her like the, her character is doing a fucking weird thing, and it would make sense that she herself is weird, but in like a totally sort of human way. She's you know like her body language is like very very open, and she's like incredibly unself conscious. Um, but she's also got like kind of like she she acts like an old lady because she is an old lady she's supposed to be in, in her character is you know revealed to be in her 70s um her 60s, and I, I think i think she would have been 60s. 64 oh, yeah her in her 60s yeah although that being said like i don't know how soon that reveal was supposed to come because it won't because this movie was made with non-hong kong audience in mind and it didn't even premiere in hong kong um so it, there was definitely a line where somebody's just like wait you were this age at that point you must be this many years which is i guess like in her, in her 60s but there's I, I think through those signifiers i just talked about you were supposed to pick up on like a general age for her yeah which i think if you're watching the movie without having that age it's like okay well is she you know 70 is she 50 is she 200 um and like at one point she she say she feeds like mrs leah thing she's just like you know after I feed everybody dumplings i sing this song and it's clearly like she's like you know mentioning is like it's just part of some ritual but it's clearly her just being weird and goofy and she sings this song and it just it, it's a song in 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 either cantonese or mandarin i guess i'm, I'm not sure which dialect they speak there um but i think like if you're native to that culture you would know that song would mean something like it would be like the difference like if if somebody like broke into uh i'm trying to you know like we have no bananas today the the hit single from like 1925 or you know frank sinatra song or a song from the 80s like it's clearly dated and not pop yeah. music but it was you know we were supposed to get a better bead on how old it was yeah 
One one thing I will say is is uh, like you say, she's very eccentric, and and I like that the film opens up with like this simultaneously setting a sense of like foreboding and weirdness, but also she is just so like I want to see a cooking show. I want to see her and Anthony Bourdain have a lengthy conversation while cooking up some fetus dumplings, sort of thing. Because like, yeah, I, do you, do you, have you watched Hannibal yet? I have. Yes, we are caught up on Hannibal, and I, okay. have, have we not talked about Hannibal since uh, I've I talked finally about Hannibal? Yes, I mean we, uh, you've mentioned it many times. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think we've talked about Hannibal. I, the last time we talked about Hannibal, you had not yet watched it. Yes, no, we. I have since mm-hmm. I have since we last discussed it, watched all of uh, all of the first and second season. And I really love it. I love yeah. it. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful, like intense show. And I have to. There are so many things in this film that I I can't imagine that uh, Brian uh, Brian the the guy who created Hannibal yeah. the the series I, I don't remember his name. Um, there's so many touches in this that that are in that movie, like the sort of like luxuriously shot cooking scenes of like human body parts, like yeah. shot in like lovingly in close up, and also the you know like the atonal like screechy music. I I, I wonder if you know if if like I mean. I don't know if you're if you're doing that show like you, you'd think like at one point it's like all right I'm going to sit down and watch all the cannibalism movies made in the last ten years because yeah. it's not like that big of a category. Well, and it's interesting because so. it, it feels like such a a dichotomy in the handling of these things, and I feel like maybe this is the the more modern take on it. Uh, maybe just as we get a little bit more adjusted to trying to do smarter or more varied horror as a as a pop yeah. culture or structure but yeah the, the the idea like if you say cannibal movie i feel like in the 80s if you said a movie about cannibalism you know that that meant two possible handlings of the actual cannibalism part one is just balls out red faced face in it bloody tearing oh such animals sort of thing and the other one is the big surprise that it's cannibalism where you just don't really see anything until the creepy scene where somehow everybody figures out that they're eating human and, and everybody panics and starts vomiting and so on. But you, I don't feel like you would have seen so much of the careful doting cooking show cinematography. And and I guess part of my question there, uh, <laughs> this is the call-in portion of the show, so uh, be sure to call in and answer if you're listening. But uh, you know, leave us a comment if you if you have some insight on this. Um, is I guess question question number one: Am I correct? And is there not really an established older history of treating cannibalism with a sort of cinematic uh, culinary uh, fondness, but 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 assuming that I'm I, I'm not missing a bunch of important prehistory, mm-hmm. is the fact that we have this showing up now in newer movies and shows dealing with it a reflection of the rise of cable television like high budget uh, cooking shows? Like, is it just the fact that everybody's seen? a shitload of people cooking stuff with really good photography at this point why directors are now doing really pretty doting photography of preparing human flesh in cannibalism movies yeah I mean I think that's a relative like I, I grew up with cooking shows but like it, they're they're not they weren't a cultural touchstone until very very recently like I'm going to say like the last maybe 15 or 20 years that they've actually become more of a thing than like you know a Bob Ross painting show yeah plus the plus the production value too I mean that's yeah, thing yeah. that's come up along with just the proliferation of them in general I think because like Julia Child was not having like slow you know gauzy lensed close ups of a slow motion slicing of a bell pepper or whatever 
You know, it, it, it was, you know, relatively plain, you know, camera work and whatnot. You know, it was a good cooking show, but it wasn't like, you know, food porn, I guess, is sort of what it comes down to. Right. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could definitely see that, you know, the, the fact that we finally decided to, like, it's like, all right, they're eating people as food, so, you know, maybe they're not just all, like, mindless zombies who just, like, you know, chomp right into a femur or something, yeah. um, that, you know, they'd want to cook it. And I remember, um, not Silence of the Lambs definitely didn't, but um, Hannibal the Film, which came out, was like 2001? Um, had some, you know, like gourmet cooking of people in it. And that's the only instance of it that I can really recall where it's not like, you know, a shot of, you know, a, a, a big bone with a chunk of meat on it boiling yeah. in a, uh, boiling in a, in a pot because, you know, Hey, boiled meat, that's the best way to eat it. Yeah. It's nothing I like more than, you know, a nice boiled <laughs> steak. Uh, well, it was stew meat, you know, that, that was meat from, uh, from that guy stew. So, uh, uh <laughs> Good old Stewie. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it is interesting. And, you know, I feel like I, I remember, I, I want to say the book Hannibal had that sort of doting uh, cannibalism, too. Like, I think that was in the narrative somewhat. And, and Hannibal is a character that was established in the first book, too, but more right. in passing, as I remember. Um, yeah, I mean, I've only ever read the first book. Um, just Red Dragon. Yeah, Red Dragon. Yeah. I've only ever read it. Um I mean, of all of them I've, I've, I've read, I've seen the movies, um, and yeah, there was not a lot about Lecter's cannibalism in the first book. Yeah, it, it was, was established just mentioned a few note, times. Yeah, yeah, it was. He was more of just like a you know, in, his character like they definitely emphasize like the psychotic but incredibly intelligent serial killer part of it yeah. than the cannibal part. Um. So yes. And that, I, yep. Cooking show. Um, Basically, this is this was a great cooking show. I enjoyed this cooking show. Yeah, yeah, just like all of these shots of like you know Viling like lovingly cooking food, and it's not in the and it, there's actually a difference from the like the, the cooking you see in Hannibal and the cooking you see in this because it's such a there's such a clear you know like comparison between the two. It's that it's a lot like you know she's doing it in like this dingy apartment. You know she's getting dust everywhere and she's not being particularly careful or you know like her motions are supposed to be like expert but from like years years and years of honing like yeah. it, it's clear that she is like old hat at this regardless of how young she looks yeah this, looks, so there, this is like, like food cart cooking from someone with a really good food cart you know it's sort of the more of the feel rather than the sort of almost palatial uh you know luxury and polish and whatnot of, of hannibal's uh yeah. whole get up yeah and it was definitely on purpose because it fits in like with the rest of her character who is like clearly kind of sloppily put together but at the same time with complete intent in like everything. Yeah, and there's the implication uh, that she's making uh, pretty good money off this because this is apparently all she does and she's got a certain amount of costs associated with uh, smuggling these fetuses and yet, and yet, yeah, she seems to not be worried about money and she seems to be doing... Uh, okay with her is it implied so and uh, so there's a you know she the her character's story is that she during you know the start of the the one child policy in china she was a doctor who performed abortions for the government um i mean i guess everybody all the doctors worked for the government because it was communism but um yeah and you know she she did 
she said, what, what is it? She, she was, she, she gave the number. She said something like 30,000 of them. And so her husband and she didn't try for kids because it would be bad luck, <laughs> which yeah. is, I'm just like, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, and then she performs one in this movie, which is just, I, that's something I have never seen in a movie before. I have to say it's just a on screen, you know, second term abortion. Yeah, of like a fifteen-year-old. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's with. Uh, it was brutal to watch. It was that, that definitely at that point. It just like even though it was just a medical procedure, just the way it was shot and 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 the the the, the sounds and everything. That was a terrifying like three four unblinking minutes. Well, it's really um, this is this is an interesting thing about the film. And again, this is sort of like I'm trying to sort of guess at you know differences in in sort of cultural expectations because i feel like this movie is sort of so balls out about like oh it's a horror movie about abortion in a way that i feel like (laughs) would be hard to sell in the u.s oh Um, yeah absolutely absolutely this it would you know this would never run you know, on this is the kind of movie that would get like protested out of a town. Yeah, th- th- this feels like you know if people were bothered by The Exorcist, you know. Although, did we talk about this? Did, did the Catholic Church actually? How much did the Catholic Church actually talk shit about The Exorcist, and how much was this like? Well, you know, we don't like to talk about it. I don't remember what the what the sort of cultural situation was with the reception of that. But anyway, yeah, no, yeah, it seems it seems it seems like it would be a very difficult film to market in the u.s because yeah obviously yeah, so abortion is a hugely you know sensitive and, the, and contentious topic so the attitude in it toward abortion is just very not american where the the attitude toward it is like very utilitarian yeah like very much so like you know when that mother takes uh, her daughter to see uh on may it doesn't sound like any of that was you know like it doesn't feel like we missed a scene of like a heart wrenching decision or that like, you know, of like some sort of a moral quandary. There was absolutely none of that. It was just like, they are doing the thing that they are no need to be done. And they are doing it in the way that they, they know how to do it. Yeah, I guess all, all the tension uh, there was about, uh, you know, the legality and whether or not it was going to get done and yeah. sort of the, the downsides of her carrying, you know, her, father's child to term you know rather than like oh but you know can we can we do this it's like no no we really need to do this um yeah yeah it's so, so that, that, that's a really interesting thing that, that again makes it a, a strange film to try and read from uh an american perspective in in some ways and and one of the things is yeah they've got the the the, the attitude towards uh population control uh historically has been very different in china than in in the u.s so you know there's there's that as well the idea that the one child per family uh, limit has some very profound logistical implications for abortion because, uh, you know, it, it's no longer just, yeah. oh, do we want a bigger family or not? It's like... And the, 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 the conversation between... Um, right, yeah, so when she goes to uh, Shenzhen, Shenzhen, I think, is the, the mainland place where she goes to uh, to pick everything up, and she has that, like, conversation with the nurse where she talks about her past history, and she was just like, you know, and she mentions like that, you know, we didn't have want to have kids be bad luck, and the nurse was just like, well, you know, it was during the one-child policy, what are you going to do? It was just one of those, she's like, well, you, you that that's what you were going to do if that's what you were going to do. It's There's no... Um, 
like like just the the, the absolute control of the government of things that people would end up having to do if they had to do it. Yeah. Um, like yeah, that also would not be like it. It would just not make sense in a, in a, in, a, in a different context, a different cultural context. I had I had a, I had a prediction uh, early in the film, probably like in the first act. I was starting. I was trying to. I was trying to sort of guess where it was going to land, and uh, and this did not turn out to be the actual situation. But my guess was there was there was the mention that uh, Mrs. Lee couldn't have kids that like she and uh-huh. her husband had tried and they couldn't. And then there was the whole idea of sort of like the revitalizing uh, power of eating the fetuses. And so my, my theory actually at one point was that she was going to get pregnant and then be in the position where she had to choose between having a supply of quality fetus or having a baby and, and potentially that she would end up aborting and eating her own uh, but that's not obviously where they went with it. Uh, that's the, the ending end. to the short film. Is that? <laughs> yep. She like the last <laughs> shot is her in the bathtub, like licking her fingers. Uh, that that's and yeah. So wow, you <laughs> go me, go me. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm actually surprised you had not read a, a summary of it, just because that nah, is almost nah. identical to the summary I read. Nah. Um, I was going to watch. Yeah, that's. Watch it. Yeah, in this one, I mean, I think they. They verify that she is infertile, right? Because her husband gets the masseuse pregnant. Yeah, yeah. The hotel girl. He's, he's schlepping. Uh, schlepping? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Stupping. <laughs> I, think, I think I tried to write stupping, and, and it's possible that it actually got autocorrected to schlepping uh, because <laughs> I've typed that enough that the text editor I use is like, oh, no, no, he probably means schlepping. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah. What? What? Uh, and, and so, what happens in this one is instead the the hotel girl gets pregnant, but doesn't want to keep it, and and so Miss Lee pays her off, and, and and yeah, she's like so blasé towards the whole thing. She's just like, yeah, I'll keep it, you know, I'll have it out. I'm young, whatever. He it's just time. Yeah. And then she's just like, I'll double your money. So, All right, okay, whatever, yeah. sure. Uh, and then just like the, the final scene where it's just like, you know, if we do it, you know, first of all, I, I, I guess you can be rich enough to tell a doctor exactly how to do a medical procedure on somebody else. <laughs> I, I think the implication was, was like, I, I think that whole setup was, yeah, bought and paid for was the implication. Like this yeah. wasn't she went to a doctor. This was here is some money. You are going to be the abortion doctor for this. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, and then the, the masseuse or hotel girl was just like, all right, come on, let's get this over with, even if the guys are just like, it'll hurt the mother immensely. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, was a, that, was a, that was a really great cold, cold-ass finish for Mrs. Lee for the, for yeah. the film. Like, that really uh, was the arc they were going for all along. I mean, she was really sort of hardening up throughout the film, and, and there, yeah, she just... That was fucking stone-cold, like, Godfather-style abortion purchase... Yep. And uh, leave the blinds. I want to watch uh, as the doctor's doing the uh, stated. Yeah, because when they did the the abortion on the schoolgirl earlier in the film, mm-hmm. they're like, it's been 18 hours already. And it's like, wow, that's really, really long. And then, then they sort of clarify that in that late scene with like, you know, this is very this is a very slow and, and painful way to do it. And it's like, well, right. that's what we're doing. That's how it's happening. Yeah. I feel like I learned a lot of things I did not want to know about and still don't. 
<laughs> they get really technical in this movie, like just in a couple of scenes, they get super technical. Um, and like the entire abortion scene with Aunt May is just like uh, the way it's framed is that you've got like this filthy ass tenement sink. And you've got like the the girl's um, legs sort of framing the shot, kind of like in the way in The Graduate, uh, where you know Mrs. Robinson's leg like frames the shot. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of like that. But then it's just like <laughs> Aunt less May's sexy. head, somewhat less sexy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> just it was just like Aunt May's head, and then just like her unfurling like medical equipment and and getting it in there. And it was yeah, that was like. I have not seen a scene like that in cinema ever before where it was just terrifying even though nothing sort of crazy was happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's nothing odd about what was happening. It's just like the circumstances were incredibly unfortunate and scary, but it was just, you know, it was a medical procedure by a doctor. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I liked I liked the uh, sort of super pointed parallelism with the balut. Uh, oh yeah, with, with the, yeah, yeah the meeting M- Mr. Lee's balut habit, and okay, well, let's eat uh, you know chicken fetuses. That, that's yeah. which which that, that's, that, and there was definitely like one of those. No, he didn't really eat it. Cuts because you see him like slowly <laughs> insert his mouth overhead, and then it quickly cuts to a shot of him in the front going like. Mm. On the spoon, and it was just like, nope. You, yeah, there was you, some, uh, some careful cuts there. Uh, <laughs> which, yeah, no, I, 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 Balut is, uh, uh, they have uh, so, uh, other other names for it uh, in China. Balut, I think it's Philippine name. Yeah, yeah, Balut, because, uh, yeah, I learned about it, and I associate it with the Philippines. I learned about it from, uh, this, this is a complicated uh, two-prong uh, education about Balut at my old insurance job. Uh, via two different vectors because uh, I, I learned about it originally from my boss who was this uh, American dude ex-military who when he was in the military was in the Philippines for a while I guess uh, and uh, so was introduced to Balut by uh, some locals and possibly was given an intentionally super terrible one uh, well, how, so, 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 what makes them? What, what's the? How do you judge? Wait, did we explain what it was? Oh yeah, yeah wait, for anybody oh. who I guess didn't see the film or didn't catch on, uh, Balut is basically a fertilized and partly developed uh, chick in an egg. Uh, you know, again, like the parallel here obviously is a a, a developing fetus. So uh, yeah, you 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 let the 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 chicken or or, or duck, I guess. Uh, Develop a little bit, and then and then you uh, boil it and eat it. And so you're basically eating a, a, a undeveloped chick rather than you know a nice single cell yolk egg. Uh, which, uh, depending on how you feel about things, is a super fucking gross idea or a delicious local uh, cuisine. Um, <laughs> how fucked up is it that actually I kind of cringe more at the balut than all the penises in this movie? I have a I have a strange uh, <laughs> alignment of priorities, I guess, about 
what squicky again i think it's all the eating people you've been doing yeah that's probably probably it well i i think it's also sort of like the the reality of balut like i know balut is actually just a normal thing for a lot of people whereas presumably there's not a lot of people actually making human fetus dumplings on a regular basis yeah watching like the 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 stuff that she had uh before like the five month one was i mean that kick might as well have been gummy bears full of like red syrup which is exactly what i think they were um it was difficult to watch but at the same time you know you could kind of see the 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 strings uh or the zipper on the monster as it were yeah um so yeah balut so 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 my boss had uh been given balut uh as sort of like a like a hazing sort of situation maybe it sounded like and uh and and ate it and was super grossed out and just vomited like crazy and he like immediately yeah it smelled terrible he 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 managed to put it in his mouth it just and it just horked was basically how he told it it's like this horrific thing so there's this guy uh who was on our our our, our team who was actually filipino and I, I, I think he, he would hear this story, like my boss would tell it to everybody. He was one of those guys who had like three stories and everybody heard them at least once a month. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and this guy in our department, uh, I think he was sort of like, ah, no, it's fine. Balut's, it's good. It's just normal. It's just, it's just the thing you eat, whatever. And, uh, you like chicken? You like eggs? What's the big deal? Yeah, exactly. Come on. This is just this is a happy medium, you know? Can't make an omelet without uh, you know boiling alive a partially developed yeah. You know. So uh, so he he was always sort of like ah, no it's, it's it's no big deal and so he ended up bringing in balut uh, at one point because it had been such a thing like this was a developing dynamic over like the period of like something like a year the back and forth between them and the story of the balut and how terrible it is and whatnot and so he brings it in uh, and we're standing in the parking garage like in the sub basement near uh, our. <laughs> Our, our department and like people are sort of crowded around in, in sort of curiosity and horror like what's going to happen here and everybody's heard uh, my boss's story about the terribleness of it so much that like uh, like people are sort of invested in the idea it's going to be horrible whereas the Filipino guy's like no it's just look it's here I'll open it up and you know eat it and a couple of people uh, had some and I think my boss had some and he's like oh well that's not so bad at all he's like yeah I think maybe they give you a rotten pollute um, or maybe he just built it up so much in the ensuing decades. Uh, but this one girl was so hyped up about how terrible it was going to be that as soon as like they, as soon as somebody else took a bite, she just flat out turns around and vomits on the floor of the parking <laughs> garage in the sub basement. And this is like at this point, like I'm in charge of most of the people here, other than and than my boss. And I'm like, I'm at work, and we're <laughs> somebody's eating a balut. And one of my employees just straight up vomited, and I'm like, "Holy shit! You don't you don't just straight up vomit on the floor at work?" I'm like, "Are you okay?" She's like, "I'm fine." I'm like, "You just because I I want to like mother hen this." I'm like, "You're vomiting. I need to try and like help with the situation. I associate vomiting with someone who's you know super fucking drunk at a party and needs their hair held back, you know." And but she's like, "No, no, I'm fine. No, I'm I'm good. Don't worry about me. I'm I'm totally okay." <laughs> and uh, it was the weirdest fucking thing in the world. I, I, this is, and this is one of my most cherished memories. I want to say of that job because it was just the whole thing was so unrelentingly weird and established how odd. Like, ev- like all the mundane things about that job were kind of weird too, and the team dynamic stuff. Uh, but that moment sort of like was perfectly crystallizing in the oddest way, and I owe it all. 
uh, to Balut. So that's that's uh, that's why I wanted to review this film. Apparently, so I could talk about Balut in the sub basement parking garage of an insurance company. And Mr. Lee ate a lot of Balut in the film. And there you yeah. go. Parallels. And at one point, uh, Mrs. like grabs the his like balut containers from the fridge in the house that they're having renovated and like drops them on the ground and starts stomping on them. Yeah. Just as some uh, sort of, well, I think this is after she's figured out that he's like, uh, schlepping after he sh- finds out he's, he's schlepping. Is it, uh, <laughs> and I think, is it, is it after that or after she finds out that he impregnated the girl? I, I, I think just, I think it was pre knowledge about him. The impregnation was a later mm-hmm. discovery. That was a chance uh, sort of discovery a bit later. Right? Oh, right, right. He, he, she yeah. just sort of figured out that he uh, was uh, doing her, I think, at that point. That's right, yeah. And then, like, a, a live chick pops up one of the eggs and, like, like there's, like, a uh, like a cross-cut between her and the chick and, like, this dramatic music and then she just stomps it. Yeah. Which, is, yeah, it's <laughs> just, like, those... Again with a stone cold. to, like, how brutal she was going to be. And, yeah, that's, that, that was one of the things. It's just, like, I... I it's 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 just one of those things where I don't think like you, it, the movie is telling you that like you know the the you know she became brutal because of like this stuff. I think that's like one of the things that you know like one of the doubts that you would have that it's even doing anything is just like it's sort of like a Doctor Jekyll Mister Hyde thing where the, the the magic potion or whatever didn't do anything. It was just um, isn't that, that 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 I remember reading that one that being like the standard interpretation of it. Which but, I might not be right, and I might have confused a bunch of people. That, 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 that there was there was no actual potion. It was actually just that uh, Doctor Jekyll was hiding horrible demons in himself and would let them yeah. out sometimes. It's, oh, it's this formula. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's what did it. It's the moon. Yeah, yes. yeah. Look, everybody, it's full. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then just like the again, like the tonal, like sort of like the, the good way to do like a tonal mismatch is just like right after that, you see her going to like gather uh, Aunt, we- um, Aunt May who went there with her, and she's just like in in the clothes that she came in, she is just like hanging out in their pool and singing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. I okay. So an interesting thing about this film. Uh, is that it? It obviously uh, involves uh, a whole lot of uh, sensuality and, and sexual moments, and and there's 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 a really conspicuous sort of sensuality to uh, Mrs. Lee's getting on board with this whole dumpling thing. Like it goes from her like being sort of freaked out and, and actually spitting out the first bit she eats the first time she's there, to eventually we get the montage once it's become sort of a normal pattern of her. Obviously, getting in gear with it, and then you know, just like, like really, really pointedly, you know, sensual eating the dumplings type cinematography. Yeah. Um, we 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 have Aunt May uh, herself being like, you know, sort of like she's sitting around, sort of vaguely touching herself and covered in flour, waiting for Mrs. Lee to come back after she panics during the five month old uh, preparation scene. Yeah. You know, and there's a bunch of this stuff, and obviously, Mr. Lee is is is, is stooping the the hotel girl. Everybody, uh, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, except for like the the mother and daughter, he sleeps with all of the other characters in this movie. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there, there, there's all this, and and there's and yet we one thing that I'm surprised we didn't see, and I feel like uh, again, maybe this is just like American filmmaking sentiment, but I feel like in an American version of this, 
we would definitely have seen Mrs. Lee have a fling with someone, and we never see that in this film. Like she seems to be motivated, at least initially, by the idea of sort of getting Mr. Lee's attention back. Uh, yeah. Through all this, uh, but eventually she loses interest in that one. She sort of accepts that he's fucking around um, conspicuously with a hotel girl. Uh, but yeah, that seems like her motivation, but then there's never sort of like the, like there's this great sort of like subtle diet Coke commercial, uh, <laughs> scene where she and, uh, Aunt May are, uh, talking about divorce mm-hmm. and, and there's guys working on the house that's being renovated, uh, that they're inside of. And, you know, there's a, at least one shot of a, a shirtless, you know, young dude doing construction stuff. And it felt like that could have easily been a setup for, and then we'll have you know some eye contact and some wordless, you know, smoldering, and then maybe a quick you know scene or or implied scene at least. But none of that. We don't get any of that. Like that doesn't happen in the film. And I thought that was interesting. Um, whether that's yeah, her yeah. At some point, like I may maybe that's a cultural thing too. I, I I don't know. Like her motivation goes from like trying to win her husband back to something a lot more vague. Or just like maybe it was just like just self satisfaction like that just became the the driving thing because, um, you know uh, Aunt May like makes a point being just like well you're rich but you're not free and like you know everything about you know May's character just like screams the fact that she is completely free of any sort of societal uh, pressures on her uh, in a lot of ways like her body language the fact that you know she's she seems to always be happy um, or working. That those yeah, are basically she, yeah, her she's two sort of like she's got this manic pixie dream cannibal thing going on. Um, yeah, and it's um, yeah, just like the contrast to that, and I think maybe that was one of the things that like um, just like the, the cannibalism liberated Mrs. Lee from like whatever it was that was keeping her down, whether it was you know the, some, the, somebody else's approval or or something like that, and that's the way I read it. But I don't know if I mean I don't know how her having an affair herself would have affected that. Yeah. Like, I think it might have implied that she was still doing it just because she'd, like, be appealing to dudes. Well, yeah, and, um, and I think you and, can read at the end of the film that she's sort of, like, dedicating herself, like, okay, she's going to stick with this path. She's going for it. She's freeing herself up from her husband, presumably. Yeah. Uh, it, to, to one extent or another, whether she's actually going to pursue, like, a divorce or, or yeah. whatnot or just straight up be like, okay, if we're – fucking around on each other then that's that's what we'll do but either way yeah she seems to have sort of resolved by the end that like yes she's going to keep doing this she's got her own reasons for doing it and yeah there is a sort of call to kind of independence there uh, all else aside um i liked uh there's this there's this scene where they get the uh the the the, the five month old um and 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 they're in the kitchen cooking and Aunt May uh, I I think this is what it was Aunt May is saying oh it was a boy and giggling and I think maybe even says look at that thing which I I assumed was you know the penis or whatever Um, and and I feel like you could take like two seconds of that with her saying it was a boy and sort of giggling and it would be like perfect the perfect like animated gif for some anti-feminist fantasy tumbler about the matriarchy uh, destroying the male race. <laughs> it was just like, oh man, yes. Uh, Hashtag Miss Andre. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, you know, that actually gets me thinking, is this a feminist movie? I, I, you can make a you can make a serious <laughs> argument towards it. I, I, I you know I'm not I, I don't have the capacity to or you know authority to you know conclude either way on it. But I think you could make a serious argument toward that. I, I, I think I think there's 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 definitely some uh, sort of meditation on on sort of feminist themes in it. You know, and it's interesting. Ant Make mm-hmm. is sort of at the center of that. As this sort of like fiercely independence, uh, you know, I do what I want sort of uh, character, but she also, you know, talks, you know, take into account the fact that she is simultaneously this like uh, young, aloof, uh, getting by on her own, whatever person, and also this sixty-four-year-old woman with, you know, presumably a bunch of uh, past experience in, in somewhat more conservative uh, cultural settings. Yeah, uh, and yeah, she she becomes sort of more interesting as far as that goes as someone with strong opinions about uh, how to manage this stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it, it'd be interesting to uh, see a take on it from someone who's in a, a better position than I am to uh, actually talk intelligently about sort of deconstructing the the sort of feminist aspects of the the story. Um, also, and, I think. Yeah, that, I, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, they, I think they should have called the movie How Stella Got Her Groove Back by Eating Human Fetuses. <laughs> Would have been a good name for it. Um, you were saying? I was, I was going to say, like, there's there's one, like, there's six characters in this movie, basically, and one of them, just uh, Mr. Lee, is, is male, and I think he's presented as, like, the most entrapped by society of all the characters, because he's just, like, you know, he's basically completely unable to restrain his desires and he's also you know he's uh he's displaced you know he he has no home he's you know he he indulges everything which is you know it you know it it might seem from you know one side that it's just like you know he's expressing the ultimate in his you know id but on the other side he's completely you know beholden to his desires and they they come before and he regard they come before other things regardless of how self-destructive that is and then you know he's always on the phone always working um when he's not you know with with the masseuse lady uh and yeah just like in a lot of ways he is like the least free character of of the film I see. whereas everybody else in in some way like finds some kind of liberation from what they what what they're doing even like the mother and daughter um uh yeah i i don't know if i buy it I think, like, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think that that's a read that could be made there. But I don't think the film does like any work in that direction. Like, I, I never get the impression that Mr. Lee is particularly bothered by much of anything. I don't get the impression that he's actually hampered in how he wants to be. He just seems like a Type A personality dude who's fucking around on his wife and works a lot because he likes to work a lot and works a lot because. I need to work is what he says when he's actually fucking someone. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't yeah. get the feeling that we were meant to even really think about his uh, dilemmas or, or you know, subjective experiences of, of trappedness or whatnot. Because I don't feel like the film really sells any of that. I, I, I think you can, I think, you can, I think you can make that read between the lines, but I think it's very between the lines rather than anything that really is even there subtextually in the the film itself. 
I would also say that I think he's he's not less free than the daughter who died of a uterine rupture after an illegal abortion. Uh, yeah, that's the, uh, the, the fetus inside of her because she was raped by her dad. I, I feel like I feel like Mister Lee. <laughs> May have been in a relatively unfettered territory <laughs> compared to that family. Well, yeah, it, it, in that way, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I'm just trying to because, like the uh, the the girl's mother eventually kills her husband yes. slash the girl's father. True. Yeah, and sort of like um, the Thelma and Louise-ish sort of ultimate liberation there. I, I can I can buy that, but uh, obviously she's gonna you know go to jail for murder, so. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fun movie. Basically, there's a lot of yeah. fun in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, though. There is. There is. It's just like such um, heavy subject matter and treated with just like such a much different uh, – uh, not not even like opinion, but just like much different reference point for it than I am used to. It's, it's really – alienating in a way that I know is entirely my fault um, just because, well not my fault but it's just like, it, it's, it's on me that I find this movie as alienating as I do Yeah. Um, just because it's, it's just, it's from a different culture but I, in a lot of ways that makes it even more effective as a horror movie Yeah. Um, just how strange it is even in the parts that don't need to seem strange yeah um, the whole thing uh, with the her start beginning to like smell and come apart, um, like when she's throwing a dinner party after she realizes you know that she's becoming you know younger yeah. or more taut or whatever, um, and then like all like you know the food is brought out and somebody's just like Do you smell fish is just like something smells smells fishy I, I don't I don't eat fish and then you know uh, uh, Mrs Lee realizes it's her skin. Um, and then she realizes that there's like sores as well. Yeah, she's got like this um, fishy rash. Yeah, and and uh, Aunt May is just like, oh no, no, it's fine. I, uh, it's definitely not what I gave you. Um, which I thought was. I think she even says, no, that means it's working. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and then she without there's a clear explanation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's the thing. I, that's that's one of the things that makes you wonder just about the 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 sort of supernatural aspects of this movie. It's just like, does May actually know how well does May know what she's do, doing and why it works? Because yeah. it's definitely supposed to be like one of those um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, traditional Chinese medicine things. Like it's not supposed to be. You know, it's like the reason it works is just like the whatever the principles behind traditional Chinese medicine are is is the implication in this movie. It's not, you know, it's not like a black magic ritual. It's not, you know, uh, some sort of like inherent, um, you know, sort of like quasi supernatural thing like it is in Ravenous. It's it's medicine. It's you know, she makes medicine and that medicine has certain effects. And, you know, one of those effects is like longevity or, or, you know, eternal youth or whatever. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm wondering like how that, that, that would just carry over to like something that I'm more familiar with because like all of the, like, you know, the super drug gave you, you know, magic power stuff is very much unlike this. Um, And like the eat this and something will happen stuff is also because that's usually like, you know, straight up, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's magical. It's a magic potion. Um, Or it's, you know, it's like a science potion full of chemistry and it's never, it's like, here is like, it's a preparation of an ingredient in a certain way to have certain effects. It's just not really like a thing. Yeah. Um, 
Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> indeed. Um, gosh, I, 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 I had a thought, and I'm chasing it down, and I'm failing to chase it down. So uh, there, there was so, there was a brief shot of a, a schoolgirl in the background when uh, Mrs. Lee was, or when Mr. Lee was approaching Aunt May's apartment. Uh, and this was not super long after we saw Kate, the schoolgirl, uh, uh, die. So it's sort of like, oh, wait, was she, was she supposed to not have died now? But no, it was probably just someone else who was a schoolgirl. But it was it was curious because on the one hand, obviously it wasn't intended to be. But on the other hand, it was a little bit of like visual friction to have that there. And, and I don't know if that was intentionally being cheeky or just establishing there's a lot of schoolgirls who live here or a little bit of both or – even flirting with some sort of supernatural notion of, oh, it's, it's kind of, you know, is it a ghost, you know, et cetera. It's not really a movie that really trucked in ghosts, but at the same time, it's a movie that's very much played with the idea of, you know, the death of humans. And, and so I, I didn't know what to make of that. But that was a thing. Yeah. Um, surprisingly erotically charged sex scenes repeatedly in this movie. Yeah, yeah, again. Really yeah. just, they... They're kind of a they, – they sort of felt out of place, but then not really. And they were well shot and well made and pretty hot, which I'm really surprised by because that's not often you see that in a horror movie. I also like Mr. Lee's line about, but you're an old lady, which is like oh, – yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's both a reasonable observation and also kind of an absurd thing to say because like if, yeah. you're, if you're an old lady, you're an old lady and, and she wasn't an old lady. So yeah, uh, but yeah. Uh, this movie has the uh, it, you can find this movie under the tag rear male nudity on IMDB that's like what <laughs> I was just like looking at the entry and it's just like the tag is like you know cannibalism Hong Kong cinema rear male nudity excellent um, and there is a butt in this movie uh, Tony Lang which is not the this this is this isn't that Tony Lang it's a different Tony Lang which which Tony Lang is this not <laughs> The one who's in um, Hero and uh, and those uh, you know those two Wong Kar Wai movies, and I think he's in Chungking Express as well. Ah. Um, yes, this is big. That that one is he's referred to as Little Tony, and the guy in this movie is referred to as Big Tony. Well, there you go. Um, yep. Uh, let's see. I, I I think we may have. We may, may have mostly run through most of the specific things I wanted to mention in the film. Oh, I, I did like the giant circular apartment complex. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This was which all was stuff creepy, shot and then she's like, "Oh, it's uh, creepy." Uh, yeah. Yeah. She's just like, <laughs> like, "What the hell?" Made me think of uh, the recent Judge Dredd film uh, a bit, actually. Oh yeah, yeah. That was such a good movie. I should watch such it again. I, I enjoyed it at the time. I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to watch it again. It, um, it, it. Yeah. They they did a really good job on that. I if you haven't seen it. Um, it you should. It's got no um, character development in it, which is good, uh, <laughs> and it's got Cersei in it. You know, if you yeah. if you want uh, if you want some more Game of Thrones without uh, all of the medieval trappings, you know. Uh, you know, one, one thought I had uh, about this, uh, which I was thinking about when I was thinking about the eating her own aborted baby theory that turns out to pan out if I had watched the different version. Uh, is that, that that'd be sort of a great sort of fucked up cursed immortality scheme where you can live forever. You just have to always be pregnant and never have children and eat your own 
developing. It's like children. some sort of genetic Ouroboros. Exactly. You know, it's like it's like uh, that's uh, it's kind of great. You know, I mean, the, the the film wasn't trying to be all about that, but I, I could see a different sort of take on this kind of story being based around uh, that notion. Um, yeah. I wonder, um, like if Aunt May's character, like just the general character of like this weird old lady who, you know, did, like does weird things with weird properties in, you know, her tiny shack thing. Like, is this like sort of like a, like a Hansel and Gretel, like, you know, witch that lives in the sort of thing? Uh, cause you know, that it, it definitely feels like sort of like her, her entire setup just feels like a, um, like like a modernization of like a fairy tale trope of you know this weird old woman that lives in you know like a tiny shack in the woods and eats and eats you know human beings um and feeds them to others yeah i wonder if there was yeah i i i, I could see that it feels like it i mean the idea of having to go to someone uh definitely is there in this in terms of uh, mrs mrs lee going to Aunt may's apartment um so yeah no i i i think that that tracks kind of reasonably uh, there was there was that shot right at the end of the film, uh, like one of the last or maybe the last shot was uh, silhouette of what I took to be Aunt May doing sort of it wasn't um, work, I, hauling shit in it, buckets. It wasn't just like a. So what happens at the end is that you know that woman whose daughter dies kills her husband. Uh, she doesn't die, and she clearly implicates Aunt May, who quickly moves out and like yeah. leaves everything behind. You know, like there's this like sweeping shot across her apartment of it looking exactly like it did in the rest of the movie and like there's even like stuff I think there's like you know chopped up cabbage on the cutting board and the phone ringing and clearly she is gone um, and then you know they go through her apartment but yeah there's this last shot of you see a I really hope this isn't a racist term but coolie um, I, I think it might be um, anyway just you know like a, it was it's a person who they're, they're just carrying shit um, and I, I don't know maybe it's supposed to be uh, like on the mainland um, but it's it's uh, it's May and she's carrying like these two buckets using like a she's got like this you know big rod on her back and like there's two buckets suspended from it yeah and according to at least like one thing that I read um, that she's apparently selling dumpkin the uh, dumpkins uh, <laughs> <laughs> dumplings she's she is a dumpling like a street dumpling seller oh okay. uh, so and I, I that might be right I have no idea but yeah she definitely like it's implied that her life is you know uh, taken a a turn although it it also isn't particularly implied that like you know this is the end of May it's just like she's gonna hide out like this for a while and then just start all over again yeah exactly um, yeah and then there was like there was the that was like the coda and then there was like a second coda of I think it was Mrs Lee's like wedding day. Was that her in the wedding dress? Was she? I, I I don't remember. Somebody's wedding day. And she's the only one who I can think of that would make sense for. But they didn't, um, there weren't a lot of shots of her face. It was mostly just shots of the bridesmaids. And there's like one long shot of her face from like going, from like shot from below. Uh, and um, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure what, I, I, if that was her or what that scene implies. Yeah, I'm completely blanking on that. Uh, like, I think the, the, the final, final shot was uh, her looking at the fetus in the bowl uh, as she's getting ready to chop it up. Um, 
did you was that scene are there possibly very slightly different cuts of this like did, did you have that that, that scene sure. where like so there, there there's a there there's a, several close-up shots of like meaty fetus flesh up against a glass surface and and her finger sort of touching it and it turns out what it is is it's it, it's sitting in a glass bowl and then I'm, um, she's looking I'm just- down and she and, and and then she brings up a cleaver and brings it down with a bloody chop and then it's cut to black and and that's it all oh all that others. was um yeah that was that was mrs lee doing that and then right yeah. after that is that shot of the wedding i just i just oh, queued weird. it up i don't remember the so wedding it's at all. yeah it's it's the shot of like them at the doctor's office it's a fade to black then it's a shot of uh aunt may as a coolie then it's a shot of her like lovingly like you know in the glass bowl and yeah. like you know uh, sharpening or cleaning the cleaver and then it's the wedding shot and then it's the credits weird i I completely slept on the wedding shot it's got three codas in fact i i Um, wonder if i turned it off before that happened i was like i'm I'm not gonna it could be it seemed like a very natural i was surprised that there was another scene after it which is why i'm very confused as to what that scene is telling me yeah well i'll have to turn Um, back on and watch that last tiny little bit yeah um because it definitely wasn't one of those, like, you know, go around in a circle and everybody tells you what their ending are, like, in, uh, yeah. you know, Donnie Darko or something. It was definitely like, this is the end of the movie. Well, it could be. No, yeah, this it, is. It, it could very, no, this yeah, is. Yeah, it could very much be implying then that she did, in fact, ditch Mr. Lee uh, and is sort of starting over as a. Oh, yeah, it could be that she's. Again. This isn't the flashback, it's a flash forward to her getting married again after ditching Mr. Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah something be. like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, wow. Because it's also shot in black and white, which is you know the uh, you know the, the the code for flashback. Yeah, yeah, which is um, tricky. Yeah, I'll have to track that yeah. down and figure it out and uh, mention it next time. I guess. <laughs> I, I I really liked the. There's this sort of like Aaron Copeland esque music playing uh, in this end sequence, and and when she's looking at the the. the fetus she's about to chop up and 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 all that and probably this carried on through through the the wedding thing too but it's it you know it it, it it's funny to me because it's i mean aaron copeland you know who i'm talking about uh, i learned about him in school you, you remember the beef it's what's for dinner uh commercials i do not that was oh jesus uh, how do you know? oh man i know that was i, my mean, I remember that I remember the commercial, and I remember what happens in the commercial. I do not remember any of the music from the commercial. It, it, it was this real sort of upbeat, triumphant sort of tri- triumphalist. Uh, I, I want to say Americana thing. Aaron Copeland liked to take, I, I guess, basically you know American folk tunes and then sort of orchestrate them, and so it has this big know, high energy. I know you're talking about, and I know the commercial, but I cannot link the two. Yeah, um, I, 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 yeah. I, 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 I only learned about Aaron Copeland after having seen a million of those beef it's what's for dinner spots. I was like, oh, that's who that is. Uh, so every time I hear him in any other context, I'm like, uh. But the, the, the music at the end of this sort of reminded me of that. It, it felt like doing the same sort of thing. Like, this feels like it's taking maybe a folk tune and then, you know, gussying it up in some orchestration. It's just sort of like, you know, uh, major major key, uh, good amount of energy to it, uh, and and so yes, I, I thought that was interesting. And as a sort of like dark joke that probably is just completely in my head, the idea that it was the beef that's what's for dinner thing <laughs> as she's chopping up her uh, special dinner. Uh, it's a weird little extra bit of resonance. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe if, hey, if those commercials aired in Hong Kong, <laughs> it seems unlikely. Uh, <laughs> Also, I, I liked I liked the uh, 
the little bit of parallelism with uh, the the film opens with Aunt May hauling food. You know, it's her taking that oh, yeah, yeah. container, and then it basically ends with her hauling food too. So that was kind of a nice little just uh, bit of parallel. But uh, but yeah, there you go. Uh, um, sound design. Did you watch this movie on speakers or with headphones? Speakers. If you, for some reason, want to see this movie again, watch it with headphones. The sound design in this movie is amazing. Um, just like the way that the, do you, I mean, yeah, like I, I mean, I guess you'd also notice it if you have surround sound. Yeah, but like, we've got a five one system, and and, and oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, it's the just the stuff they do with sound, and there was also like this one ubiquitous sound effect. Like the first time they used it uh, was like the just all of the sound in this movie. Like whenever, um, uh, what do you call it? Whenever Mrs. Lee is eating the dumplings, you know the the way that they did the sound is as if the microphone was in her mouth. So you hear like this crunching and this very visceral chewing, and they do that every time there's like a food scene. But then they also reuse that that same rough sound effect for oral sex. Um, <laughs> I hadn't quite caught that. <laughs> yeah, and then they reuse it again. I think during the abortion. Um, but yeah, it's like a very, like intensely, like the sound is all very, very intense and gory in this, even when there's nothing happening to that effect on the screen. And I think like the, that was one of the things like to make the dumpling eating regard, like instead of like the dumpling eating going from, it's like, oh, she's being really weird about dumplings too. She's being normal about dumplings. It's just like, oh, she's being like really weird about something that is like, you know, being presented as very gross. And later on it's like, oh, she's totally okay with something being presented as very gross. And now that's worse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, the, the sound in this was amazing. Like it's, it's really rare that like to notice that, but you know, in like a slow burn sort of movie like this, when there's not a lot of things happening and every, you know, all the actions are, are, are usually very muted. And so there's, you know, time and, and, and a place to put in, you know, sounds that, that, that you will, that you will note. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> Indeed. It sounds good. It looks good. The subject matter is... Uh, oh, God. There's a Fisher... Sp- I was just... <laughs> do you know who Fisher Spooner are? There's a uh, band yes, called yes. Um, Fisher Spooner. They're on, big in the Electric Clash scene in the early 2000s. And... Um, oh, what the hell? They had these... There was... Uh, in one of their songs, I think it was Sweetness. It was... Uh, looks good, feels good, tastes good, too. It was just like one of the recurring lines, and I just thought of that. Um, very appropriate for this movie. Also, I am never probably eating dumplings again. <laughs> you know what we did? I didn't <laughs> like them to begin with. We started watching this um, movie, and uh, and then we, we, we were about halfway through, and it's like, you know what? I'm hungry. What do we have in the freezer? And it's like, oh, well, we've got those shumai. And we've got those gyoza. So, uh, yeah, let's have, uh, let's have some dumplings. And we just stopped and, and made some dumplings. And ate well, those while I, the rest yeah, of this movie. There's, was, there's dumplings I like. Like there's like the big, you know, the big, uh, you know, wonton soup dumplings. I'm okay with. I, uh, gyoza, I, I like shumai. I'm not sure what shumai are. Uh, let me see. Uh, there's googling a picture of it. Yes, shumai are the dumplings that I don't like and I'm weirded out by. And, like, they're the ones with, like, the really sort of uh, glutinous-y wrapper, yeah, and, like, yeah. sometimes translucent. Yeah. And they're usually boiled. Yeah, I dislike the, those kind of dumplings. 
just you know from a texture and visual perspective and i like them even less now <laughs> I, I i like them a lot but uh but the ones we had in particular were actually really bland so uh that, if you learn nothing else from this podcast about eating human fetuses and dumplings uh give the uh trader joe uh shumai a pass maybe they're not so great uh so yeah I, I, I have to say, and maybe this maybe this expresses a certain amount of ongoing difficulty with me being jaded or broken in the head by horror movies. But uh, I, I was, I, I honestly, several times throughout the movie, you know, sort of forgot what I was supposed to be getting thematically. It was like, you know what? Those actually those look like really good dumplings. Those <laughs> those look pretty tasty. But I had the same problem. I had the same problem with Hannibal. Like you know, it's like I know that I'm supposed to understand the rich irony. Of this stuff, but the oh, shit he is cooking looks really you, good. That's some you, good fucking food. Do you follow like anybody who's very fond of tum- uh, of Hannibal on Tumblr or any of like Hannibal related tags? Uh, I, because I, every time one of those like food things comes up, like there is always at least one tag or comment on it being like, "I don't fucking care that it's people. That shit looks amazing." Yeah, I, I, I've seen um, uh, it come up on uh, Liz's blog. Some. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, speaking of Hannibal, I think um, you know. Apparently, they. Uh, they were going to use a double for all of the cooking because uh, they wanted like the, you know, like luxuriously or, or you know, like uh, what do you call it? lovingly shot um, cooking scenes. And they're just like, well, you know, we're going to have to get a, you know, like a hand double for, for Mads Mikkelsen. It turns out that he is able to cook very well. And he's just like, I'll do my own stunts on this. <laughs> um, stunts. And that's, that's all him cooking, that's uh, which is, which is great. It definitely makes it easier to, to, to shoot some of that stuff too because then you're not horned into really sort of yeah. conspicuous cuts and I also I, I just I love food like I like cooking shows and food scenes shots shot like that because like whenever I am cooking stuff I'm just like a manic mess in the kitchen like covered in crap and uh, running from like one thing to the other because something's on fire yeah. and so it's just like watching the professionals do it is very satisfying because <laughs> I'm terrified of the kitchen yep uh, I, I can, can can we go back to complaining about Ravenous just really briefly? Absolutely, because because one thing I want to say, uh, all else aside, with the film, uh, I I have bones with a lot of the editing. I felt like I felt like there were significant portions of the film uh, that just didn't even do as well with the slightly bodgy stuff they had to work with, because they would do these cuts that like almost robbed drama from what was supposed to be like a, a transition in time or whatnot. Like there's, I thought that was on purpose. I think maybe it was, and I think it was sort of a stylistic thing, but it was not a stylistic thing that I think worked super well for the film. Like I feel yeah. like they, they, they were maybe going for jarring, but this is a film that already one of my main complaints is, you know, the most jarring thing is their apparent inability to figure out what tone they want. So then going for what could be sort of like an unsettlingly jarring cutting style, uh, but not committing to it totally is yeah yeah if you're going to go if you're going to try and be disorienting then you know be disorienting and skip the cheerful banjo music you know it's it, 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 it so yeah i wish i wish i didn't take notes for it cuz i i knew we were going to focus mostly on dumplings and i so i was like okay fine we'll uh i'll just i'll just watch it and remember it and and this is one thing where i wish i had written down specifically some of the scenes but uh when when Guy Pierce's character Boyd first uh, or fi- finally ate the stew to save his life after he'd been stabbed in the gut by Robert Carlyle, he finally breaks down and starts eating it. And then we just sort of get a cut to him 
chained up in a room somewhere and looking better, but we don't know how long it's been. And the film has failed to establish exactly how quickly someone recovers from stuff and has been a little bit weird about its passage of time in general. Cause like there's a lot of time passes over the period of this film in, in theory. Yeah. But I've, you have no idea how much or yeah, when it's passing. Exactly. You know? And so like throwing on top of that, Weird cuts that fail to communicate that is uh, it, it's not so great. It's uh, it's it's problematic. It makes the film hard to stay invested in. So that was a little bit more complaining about Ravenous. I also thought the editing was kind of shit at times. I well, it's not j- shit. I, I thought it was. I thought I, I thought the editing was conspicuously mismatched with uh, the idea of telling a coherent story. I guess. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I, you know what I, re- I really disliked? Um, just in the third act when, uh, what the hell is his name? Um, uh, Guy Pierce, uh, Jeffrey Jones, and Begbie um, are all, uh, what do you call it? They, you know, they're just like, oh, yeah, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're Wendigos now. It's awesome. And, you know, Jeffrey Jones is just like, oh, it's great. And then, like, Eight minutes later, he's just like, "You have to promise me one thing: yeah, kill me, I kill can't me." Live like, yeah, yeah. It's just like, wh- really? Were you? Because it didn't sound like you were lying before, and also like, if you're gonna do like that sort of turnaround, like we at least need some time with the character for that to be a reveal. Yeah, exactly. Rather than just like, it's like, oh, so wait, has he just gotten sick of it, or was he sick of it the whole time? Is he afraid of uh, Robert Carlyle? What's up? Um, yeah, like the whole, like, oh, it turns out he's alive. First of all, I have no idea how long he was supposed to have been dead for. I'm not entirely sure how much time passed between that. Or, you know, it's it's just one of those things that, like, I have no idea why they brought him back. Yeah. Or, or well, and, and I'm it, not sure they know either. Well, and, you know, it, it's a, it, it, structurally, it's a good reveal because, like, it's like, like I, I feel like there's this underlying thing in the film where maybe to some extent we're supposed to wonder if Boyd is just crazy. Like maybe the whole time Colonel Ives could in theory, maybe Colonel Ives is just Colonel Ives uh, and he's just some guy and, and Boyd is insane. But the film doesn't give us enough to wonder about there to really make that a uh, question. And I feel like if it had been a film that was more about Boyd's creeping insanity or the question of his creeping insanity, that would have been fine. But anyway, so so you have this setup where Jeffrey Jones is the guy who shows up after we're seeing people are dying, but Colonel Ives is sitting there, and we're told, you know, Colonel Ives is like, "How could I have killed someone? I've been here the whole time." And and one of the other suckery people doesn't caught on yet is like, "Oh yeah, um, we've got that going on." And then it turns out that Jeffrey Jones was killing people because he's actually still alive. And it's just, it's not as good of a reveal as structurally maybe it was expected to be because, like, we're not that invested in Jeffrey Jones being dead. I mean, I liked him as a character, and then he's dead, and that's sad, but, like, he died when a bunch of other people died, and it seemed like that scene was more about the idea that everybody got killed, and Ives is, or we don't even know he's Ives yet at that point, this guy's trouble. Uh, yeah, it, yeah it, it felt like something that would have been clever in a story. That was more about it. I don't know. Yeah. Ravenous, a film made by people. Yes. <laughs> and it was then that my cable internet feed cut out on us abruptly uh, as we were wrapping up the episode. So I'm just 
recording a quick note here after the fact to say, hey, sorry that cut off like that. And that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, as usual, go do the uh, – check out the Facebook group for conversation and suggestions and ideas and thoughts on stuff we talked about. Uh, there's the Tumblr. There's uh, iTunes where you can review and rate the show. And uh, yeah, keep on listening. Uh, let us know what uh, you're looking forward to hearing about coming up in future episodes. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.